0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 84, my name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been playing Axiom Verge 2, a sequel to the very successful Metroidvania Axiom Verge. I've also been checking out Ghost of Tsushima's Director's Cut and the Iki Island Expansion. Well fans of the show all know I'm a massive fan of Destiny 2, so I'll catch you up in the latest Witch Queen Expansion news as well as first impressions of Season of the Lost. And finally, I've been checking out Tales of Arise with the demo on the PS5. So it's a jam-packed show. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, and as well as the games I've been playing, which I mentioned in the intro there, we've also had some exciting news from Nintendo, who are about to bring a whole bunch of Game Boy Classics, to the Nintendo Switch Online. Well, the news isn't from Nintendo. It's actually from leaks, but hopefully Nintendo are going to confirm this news in the next few days. But word that Nintendo is going to bulk up its Switch Online back catalogue first broke earlier in the week via Nate the Hate podcast, which discussed the various possible handheld Nintendo games could bring to the Nintendo Switch subscription offering. So, Nintendo Life sources then offered their own confirmation. And this month is the third anniversary of Nintendo Switch Online, which offered up a selection of NES titles, and then SNES titles began trickling out in September 2019. So a data mine of the NES Switch app back in January 2019 tipped the addition of SNES titles to the service before Nintendo made the official announcement. And at the time, the data mine pointed to a couple of other emulators hiding in the code, ready for Nintendo to add further platforms down the line. So really, really exciting news that Game Boy Classics could be coming to Nintendo Switch really, really soon. So keep your eyes peeled on the news. And as soon as we know more, I'll let you know through This Week in Video Games. Well, before we get into the show, I wanted to plug the podcast patron, And you can send in your questions, your comments and your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up and become a patron. We can access exclusive Discord rooms, send in your questions and comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast and also get access to exclusive content and early access too. So there's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon. Plus, you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is it for my waffly intro, but let's check out what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing a lot of Axiom Verge 2. So this is Thomas Happ's follow-up to the original Axiom Verge. This is a Metroidvania sequel with a little bit of a twist. It's got very different mechanics to the original, but it does still feel the same in terms of feel, which is a testament to the design skills of the developer. I've also been getting reacquainted with Jin in the Ghost of Tsushima's director's cut on the PS5. However, we do have a new island to explore with Iki Island in the expansion, and this one dives deeper into the relationship with Jin and his father, and it's definitely the definitive way to play through Ghost of Tsushima on the PS5. So, talking to the PS5, I've also been checking out the free demo of Tales of Arise, ahead of the full release next week. And this one is a new JRPG and it's really, really fun and I'll bring you my thoughts on that later on in the show. Well, finally, I've been headfirst into Season of Lost in Destiny 2 this week and I'll bring you my first impressions on the latest season and I'll bring you up to speed on the Witch Queen expansion coming in February 2022 since we had that big reveal on August the 24th. So loads of stuff going on today and do skip around with the timestamps down below if you want to skip to a section that interests you. Well, first of all, today, let's jump into my review of Axiom Verge 2. Well, Axiom Verge 2 is the follow-up to the original Axiom Verge from Thomas Happ, a now classic Metroidvania from 2015, and the sequel switches things up in pretty dramatic fashion, expanding the Axiom Verge universe in major ways. So the game was recently shadow-dropped during a Nintendo Indie Showcase in August 2021, and fans of the original were sent into a frenzy, having waited six years for that sequel. Axiom Verge was set in a dark world, and primarily you'd navigate and explore with the Axiom Disruptor. So this was a gun that doubled up as a hacking device, allowing you to open up new parts of the world, and this time round the Disruptor is nowhere to be seen, However, it's been replaced with a suite of tools that are definitely no less fun to use. One thing that struck me when I first started playing was the look and feel of the game. So this one is much brighter and more vibrant than the first Axiom Verge, mainly thanks to the snow and ice setting that you start out with. The pixel art is beautiful as always, and it's hard to imagine one person alone creating this whole game. And although Axiom Verge 2 is quite different in terms of gameplay and look, the game manages to retain the feel of a game, in the Axiom Verge universe. So in regards to the story, you're a human who's been teleported to an alien world, and when you first arrive, you notice the killer drones flying about the place, and you meet an NPC, as well as read notes that describe a massive war between two civilizations. the game opens up with the story of a big company in control of key computing technology, which grows beyond control, and their leader unfortunately dies, and the company falls into disarray trouble starts brewing in a remote antarctic location and you set off to investigate and you are idra chowdhury a billionaire ceo trying to locate her daughter and when you get to antarctica you get thrown through a portal and then the adventure begins so this is where the fun starts as you explore the snow-covered location filled with killer robot and when you land you don't have much but you spend the first few hours picking up some useful tools including a pickaxe a boomerang and a hacking device plus the ability to use a little droid and inspired by super metroid there's plenty of secrets to find with hidden areas so rather than roll into a little ball like samus would we've got our droid which is a nice way of dealing with a similar problem well at its core axiom verge 2 is a 2d metroidvania with platforming exploring and combat However, the combat is very different to the original Axiom Verge. That one was very focused on gunplay, but Axiom Verge is definitely more focused on melee weapons. So the first thing you pick up is a pickaxe, and then shortly after that you get a boomerang. There's something about the 2D gameplay and the boomerang reminded me of the Goonies on the NES, and maybe The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past is another comparison. But it definitely is a big change from the first game and a welcome one. So it is pretty risky if you think about it. Imagine Link turning up in A Legend of Zelda with a gun. Well, the combat is really challenging too, so one minute you're going to be fighting little flying drones, and you'll turn a corner, and a huge, massive mini-boss or boss is going to be waiting there for you. So the detail is incredible on these bosses in terms of the pixel art, animation, and the mechanics are really good fun as well. And you're going to be using a combination of attacks, whether it be up close and personal with a pickaxe, or slightly at range with the boomerang. Well the exploration in Axiom Verge 2 is excellent and perhaps the star of the show. So there's distinct biomes plus a series of bosses and mini-bosses, and each area is unique in terms of the game world you are inhabiting. So one excellent feature of the game is the parallel world that you can hop into. And this isn't a new concept, you know, it's very really successfully done in a link to the past, but in this but in Axiom Verge it's executed very, very well. So the worlds are distinct and they're rich, brimming with detail, and they're separate play spaces rather than simple reskins so this parallel world is known as the breach and you spend much of your time exploring as your little drone which is an ability that you pick up not too far into the game so the breach offers up a very smart way to solve puzzles working in tandem with your robotic drone exploration is great when you can freely navigate around however there are moments where what to do next isn't the most obvious thing and the game can feel like it's fighting against you But don't give in, as progression itself is very rewarding, as are the ability upgrades when you finally do burst through that barrier. Now, it's definitely worth shouting out the graphics and the audio in this game. The pixel art is absolutely beautiful. It's retro in look and feel by nature, but it is similar to Narita Boy, where it's like HD pixel art. So this is definitely more than a NES or a SNES could do. Looks really, really crisp and really, really good. You certainly wouldn't find this on a NES back in the day. And the music as well, that is absolutely wonderful. It reminded me of 80s sci-fi, much like the original Total Recall and other movies of that era. Well, in summary, Axiom Verge 2 is a fantastic Metroidvania. It's really interesting to see a sequel released which is so different from its predecessor. I can't really remember another franchise where this has happened, especially given the success of the original Axiom Verge. The sequel certainly has been worth the wait and I'd recommend jumping in and checking it out. Well, the developer was Thomas Happ Games and published by Thomas Happ Games 2. It's available on PC, PlayStation and Nintendo Switch and was originally released on the 11th of August, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Axiom Verge 2 and let me know what you think about it. Let me know through Patreon, but also down there in the comments as well. Really, really love to hear what you think of the game. Well, that's it for my review of Axiom Verge 2, but next up, let's have a look at the Ghost of Tsushima, the Director's Cut. Well, the Ghost of Tsushima's Director's Cut is an improvement on one of the best games of 2020, providing a PlayStation 5 upgrade plus the new Iki Island expansion, where we find out more about Jin's relationship with his father. You now, if you enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima, this is much more of the same in all its glory. But if you didn't play Ghost of Tsushima and you got a PlayStation, you know, I would definitely get on this and prioritize it immediately. You know, Ghost of Tsushima came along towards the end of the life cycle of the PlayStation 4 and demonstrated beautiful graphics, excellent combat, and was one of the best open-world adventures of the last generation consoles. Sucker Punch has gone away and provided not only an expansion in terms of content on Eki Island, but also a PS5 suite of upgrades, bringing it up to standard with other current-gen games, including 60fps haptic feedback and enhanced audio too. This makes Ghost of Tsushima's director's cut the definitive way to play the game, and if you don't have a PS5, not to worry, because the expansion is also available on the PS4 too, just without the quality-of-life PS5 upgrades. The PlayStation 5 upgrades include 4K resolution at 60 frames per second. You've also got the haptic feedback on the controller and some nice audio enhancements where the sound of the sword fights emanates from the controller. And the haptic feedback comes into play when you're galloping on your horse. You can even feel the ground below the horse's feet. It's really great to see the developers embrace this technology as it does make a difference for the immersion. You know, the game already did have a 60 fps upgrade before this but the suite of improvements definitely takes it to the next level the platform upgrades are great but it's the content expansion i'm definitely most interested in well Eki island is the new location for the expansion which is a smaller island off the mainland you can access Eki island and its storyline once you finish the first act of the main game so the structure is very similar to the main game there's loads of story missions exploration armor upgrades new skills and loads more and the story itself is really, really good, and you learn much more about the relationship with Jin's father. The main game focused on the relationship with Jin's uncle. However, Jin's father was killed on Iki Island. Well, the story plays with perspective also, as Jin is seen as a samurai invader compared to the raiders on Eki Island. So the new antagonist, the eagle, poisons Jin early on in the expansion, which leads him to see visions of friends and family. And these visions are a great way to expand the story and Sucker Punch has done a great job with it. My only criticism of the expansion is that it's fairly short and can be completed in only a few hours. You know, I love this world, and I'd love to spend much more time here. Well, if you played on PS4 and you want to upgrade to PS5, then save transfers are available. But one of the pain points I had personally relates to upgrading and the packages available. So I'm playing on the PS5, and I played through the original on the PS5 too and the PS5 upgrade and the Director's Cut wasn't available until the launch day, plus I had to have the disc in the PS5 itself for the right version to be revealed to me through the store. Then, when I started playing the game, I selected Continue, and it started to be fresh. Panicking, I thought I'd lost everything, I immediately quit out and transferred my save, and then, luckily, I picked up from where I left off. Now, if I had to boil it down, the upgrade and the save-transfer system is a little bit too complicated from the PS4 to the PS5, and it'd be great to see something a little bit easier, much like we have smart delivery on the Xbox Series X. Well, as well as the single-player expansion, there's also the new Legends content available. So from September the 3rd, so that's Friday, just gone... A Legends Rivals mode is being added where two teams compete to take out hordes of enemies plus you can spend currency to make things hard for your opponents. So the Legends mode adds incredible amount of value to Ghost of Tsushima in terms of replayability especially if you've already been through the main campaign and you're working your way through that expansion as well. So Ghost of Tsushima's Director's Cut is the way to play Ghost of Tsushima, and the new story content is great, albeit a little short. But the new Legends mode is going to bring a much more replayability to the game, and the PS5 upgrades make a beautiful game even more stunning than it was before. So Sucker Punch has set the bar very high with Ghost of Tsushima, so first you should definitely play this, plus the expansion, and then it's going to be really exciting to see what Sucker Punch do next. If you've got a PS5, then this one is a must-play game. Well, that is it for my review of Ghost of Tsushima's Director's Cut and the Iki Island expansion. But next up, let's check out the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, we've got The Last of Us Part 2. That is up two places from last week's number 12. And number 9 this week is Ghost of Tsushima's Director's Cut, down eight places from last week's number 1. And number 8 this week, it's Marvel's Avengers, that's up 3 places from last week's number 11. And number 7 this week, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons, up 1 place from last week's number 8. And number 6 this week, it's FIFA 21, up 4 places from last week's number 10. And number 5 this week, it's Marvel's Spider Man Mars Morales, down 2 places from last week's number 3. And number 4 this week, it's Grand Theft Auto 5, up 2 places from last week's number 6. And number 3 this week, it's Minecraft, up 2 places from last week's number 5. At two this week it's our old friend Mario Kart 8 Deluxe up two places from last week's number four. And number one this week it's Aliens Fireteam Elite and that one is a new entry so congrats to Focus Home Entertainment for that number one entry. Well that is it for the all platform charts. Really interesting to see there. The Last of Us Part 2 back in the top ten. We've got Marvel's Avengers in the top ten as well. We've got the ever present Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and Aliens Fireteam Elite. I haven't checked out Aliens Fireteam Elite just yet. But let me know down in the comments or send in your questions, your comments to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames games. I'll read your comment out on the podcast. As I say, that is it for the charts, but next up, let's check out my first impressions of Tales of Arise. Tales of Arise is the latest in the Tales series from Bandai Namco. And I'm definitely new to the Tales franchise, so I don't really have a point of reference from the previous games. But I am a massive JRPG fan, and given there's a decent-sized demo available for free on the PlayStation 5, I thought I'd jump in to check it out ahead of the release this week. The good news is it's fantastic fun, and we don't have long to wait for the full game to release. Well, first of all, this game is very anime, so if you like that kind of thing, Tales of Arise will be right up your street. The battle system is also really, really good. I understand they streamline things from the previous games, like Tales of Vesperia. So in regards to the story, you're an iron-masked amnesiac slave, and details as to why or how you got there are a little thing on the ground, plus there's the small matter of not being able to feel pain, which is certainly going to come in handy when the battles come later on. So Iron Mask gets caught up with Xion, a young woman, who emits an electric charge when someone tries to get close to her. So Xion is Renan, a people who enslave the Iron Mask people known as the Danans. And they certainly make quite the pairing, but they decide to head out on an adventure together all the same. And in true JRPG fashion, there's a good amount of cutscenes that allow for the characters to explore each other's backstory as they are on the road together. So given it's a JRPG, these cutscenes can be pretty hefty. But as I was new to the series, I found them quite useful. So you don't have to watch them and you can get straight into the action because they are optional. But Arise does like to get you into battle fairly quickly. So before long, Iron Mask is fighting and you get introduced to the battle system in the game. So so when a battle starts, you get moved into a separate battle arena and you use a combination of attacks and skills known as art. So Iron Mask wields a flaming blade while Shion uses a rifle with an array of ammo types. So you can head into battle solo and allowing the computer AI to control your party. And that is particularly smart here, keeping you healed combined with attacking foes at the same time. So healing is focused around curing spells, which can be made from a shared repo of cure points. So to replenish your points, you have to rest at an inn and prepare for another battle using CP restoring items like orange gels. So it's not only healing that is powered by cure points, though. Other skills use this resource too meaning you're going to have to carefully pick and choose when and where to use these. So this can be somewhat of an annoyance. However, Arise offers up quite a few locations to replenish your stock of CP, so it does actually work pretty well. Enemies, they're pretty much anywhere on your adventure, and the combat feels engaging and pretty respectful of your time. I understand the battle process has been sped up since the previous entries, and the battles feel nice and snappy, and I'd say just about right, especially considering this is a JRPG, and the genre does have a reputation for elongating certain things like the battling. Well, complementing the battles are the environments, they're rich in colour and filled with detail, and the whole game definitely feels like it's got an excellent flow to it, and I was engaged enough to keep coming back. Well, the demo is also free on PlayStation and PC, so if you're interested in the game, I'd recommend checking it out. You know, I'm definitely not a veteran of the Tales series by any means, but I enjoyed my time with the demo, and I'm really looking forward to the full release coming in a few days' time. So Tales of Arise comes out on the 10th of September 2021, and that one comes to PlayStation 5 and 4, and also PC2. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Tales of Arise, and it really, really surprised me, that one. I do really like a good JRPG, And this one really, really made me sit up and pay attention. Definitely looking forward to that full release on the 10th of September 2021. That wasn't the only thing that got me sat up to pay attention over the last couple of weeks. We also had the news of the Witch Queen expansion on August 24th from Bungie. And this is the next major expansion in the Destiny 2 franchise. And all of you know out there, if you follow my YouTube stuff, I'm a massive Destiny 2 fan. So next up, let's have a look at the Witch Queen reveal and what we've got coming from the next DLC from Bungie. Well, the next expansion for Destiny 2, The Witch Queen, has been revealed by Bungie recently in an action pack reveal stream detailing The Witch Queen, Season of the Lost, a Trials of Osiris rework, and also the upcoming Bungie 30th anniversary, and that's a celebration event inside Destiny 2. Well, first of all, let's check out the Witch Queen reveal. So we've got confirmation of the release date, which is going to be the 22nd of February 2022. And normally, Bungie would release an expansion in September. However, this pattern was broken with the last expansion beyond light since COVID delayed that expansion. And subsequently, that affected the Witch Queen as well. So the fallout of this is that this season, Season of the Lost, is going to run from now until February and although Bungie did give us some news about the 30th anniversary event happening in December, so that is going to be there to fill that gap, and we'll go into the details of the 30th anniversary very, very soon. Well, we got a first cinematic trailer for the Witch Queen, which showed off some of the major features, including Savathun as the main protagonist, and she has somehow managed to steal the light and create Hive Guardians, meaning we're going to have to go into battle against the Hive with Ark, Solar, and Void Supers. Well, Savathun has somehow managed to create Ghosts, And in one graphic scene, we saw our guardian grab a hive ghost and crush it in our hands. We're also shown a few biomes and locations, including a dark forest or a swamp-like area, and also Savathun's throne world. So there's been plenty of speculation we were going to be going to Old Chicago. However, it doesn't look like we're heading to another Earth-based location, which, to be honest, I'm pretty happy about, given we've already got two. Savathun's throne world is a mystical place where you have to play by her rules, so I expect plenty of secrets and trickery from our Hive Queen. Well, for the first time in a few years, we've got an entirely new weapon type in the Glaive, and this is the first first first-person melee weapon, and in another blockbuster announcement, we're also getting weapon crafting. So what that exactly means, we don't know yet, but we do know we're going to be able to craft weapons in a way and then level them up. So this does sound quite similar to what we were doing in Destiny 1, and I really hope it's similar to what Bungie has done with the subclass options. You know, Destiny 2 reduced the complexity of the subclass down to three clusters, whereas Destiny 1 was much more open and free. So in year one of Destiny 1, we had to level up guns by adding materials into weapons, and that was criticized for being overly grindy at the time, and fans have always wanted something similar to come back into Destiny 2 and the Glaive is going to be our first craftable weapon, but we're also going to be getting more added over time. We've got a new raid coming with the Witch Queen as well, and that's going to be set inside the Pyramid in Savathun's Throne World. And exactly who is in there, we don't know just yet, but we've got plenty of candidates for the raid final boss, but guessing at this stage would probably be foolish. I just hope it isn't Tanex once again. Well, fans were hoping for a new Darkness subclass, But Bungie confirmed we're not going to be getting the predicted Poison subclass, we're getting a rework of the Light subclass instead to bring them in line with the Stasis system. So this makes plenty of sense given the negative impact of Stasis that it had and how far left behind the Light subclasses feel now compared to Stasis. So Void is going to be first up and you'd imagine Solar and Arc will follow shortly afterward. So finally Bungie wants to make more of the campaign in Destiny 2 so they're adding a hard mode to the campaign and also want to make it much more repeatable much like some of the flagship missions like Presage and Whisper of the Worm which are some of the better pieces of content in the game and that is a tall order but I do like the addition of hard mode that really really sounds like fun. Well next up we got the news of the 30th anniversary so Bungie they've been making games for 30 years and to celebrate they're having a party inside of Destiny 2 so the 30th anniversary is a free and paid content expansion and we're also getting a new match made activity as well as a loot focused dungeon so apparently it's going to be themed around the infamous loot cave from Destiny 1 and it's really good to see Bungie embracing the meme at this point and running with it. We're also getting a whole bunch of cool cosmetics plus a returning exotic, and not just any exotic weapon either, perhaps arguably the most famous exotic of them all, and that is Galahorn. So they already previewed in-game content they're releasing for the 30th anniversary of making games, and the 30th anniversary celebration is coming on December the 7th, and it's free for all players, so it's going to offer a new six-player matchmade activity, iconic weapons to collect mysteries to unravel, and rewards that commemorate Bungie's long and storied history. So in addition to the free event, players can also purchase the Bungie's 30th Anniversary Pack that includes a collection of content and rewards you're not going to want to miss. So we've got a treasure-themed three-player dungeon in the Cosmodrome. We've got a Galahorn exotic rocket launchers debut in Destiny 2. We've got a Thorn armor set, Marathon and Bungie's 30th Anniversary streetwear-inspired ornament sets. We've got a collection of favorite Destiny 1 weapons, including IS Luna and a Thousand Yard Stare. We've got the Claymore Sword inspired by Myth a shotgun inspired by Marathon, a unique helmet ornament, exotic sparrows, an exotic ship, emblem shaders, loads of emotes, and much more too. So there's definitely going to be a party inside Destiny 2, and you can join in on December the 7th. We've also got a revamp to Trials of Osiris. The trials is on a small hiatus until September the 10th, but when it comes back, it's going to be bigger and better than ever. So Bungie wants Trials to be more approachable for all players. So they're making the following changes this season. So they've got new matchmaking options for duos and singles. We've got the ability to keep playing your card past three losses. And tokens have been removed and gear will now drop from Trials Engrams. And most importantly, Trials of Osiris would now require the purchase of the Elyl expansion to play. So this currently is Beyond Light and next February it's going to be the Witch Queen. And Hopefully this is going to cut down the amount of cheaters on PC because it's just absolutely rampant at the moment. And also, to help with that as well, they've introduced the Battle-Eye Anti-Cheat System. Well, there's loads of new information regarding the upcoming expansion, the 30th anniversary, The Trials Reworked 2, so it's a really, really good time to be a Destiny fan at the moment, and I personally can't wait for the 22nd of February, 2022. Well, that is it for all the news on the upcoming Witch Queen expansion, but next up, let's check out my first impressions of Destiny 2 and Season of the Lost. Well, Season of the Lost has kicked off in Destiny 2, and this acts as a prelude to the Witch Queen, Destiny 2's big new expansion coming in February 2022. So there's a whole bunch of new stuff this season, plus some fine-tuning of weapons, abilities, subclasses, and a whole load more. So today, I'm going to get into my first impressions of Season of the Lost, so if you're on the fence about jumping in, this will give you all the info that you need to know. Well, Season of the Lost continues on the great trajectory of narrative story content, We've had from Bungie since Beyond Light when it dropped in November last year. And we've had Season of the Hunt with the former Prince Aldrin and now a guardian named Crow. He's been brought back into the fold via Osiris. So, so Osiris himself lost his ghost at the hands of Zevu Arath, one of the Hive Gods, along with her sister, Savathun. So, in Season of the Hunt, we were working to free Crow from the clutches of Spider on the Tangled Shore. And he's a mob boss style black market trader who hangs out on that collection of asteroids. So, next was Season of the Chosen, where we struck a truce with the Cabal Empress Keitel. However, not all members of the Vanguard agreed, in particular, Lord Saladin. Divisions were being sown amongst the Vanguard, seemingly coming from Osiris, and that continued in Season of the Splicer, where we struck another alliance with a former enemy in the Elixni. in particular, a familiar foe called Mithrax, leader of House Light, And with him, we were trying to solve the mystery of the Endless Night in the Last City. Well, it turned out Curia, a Vex Hydra, was at the heart of it, spurred on by the Witch Queen Savathun, who somehow had been lurking in the Last City and sowing seeds of discontent through persuasion and misdirection. Basically, classic Savathun behaviour. The Elixni coming to the Last City was the final straw for some of the factions, rebelling against the Vanguard openly across the airwaves. And Osiris was acting increasingly strange as the season went on, but we'd soon find out why. Well, that brings us up to the opening act of Season of the Lost with Marasov, the Awoken Queen, lived up to her promise and returned from wherever she's been, most likely drawing up plans to how to stop the darkness. And we opened up the season with St. 14, Crow, and the Guardian wanting to bring Osiris in for a chat, given his role in the Vector attack and the Last City at the end of the last season. So Osiris is standing there with Marasov. However, Savathun reveals herself to have been Osiris in disguise since the start of Beyond Light. Everything was her. So bringing the Crow to the Last City, the alliance with the Cabal, and also rooting out the factions in the Last City. Mara quickly imprisons her in a chrysalis-style prison, and Savathun is trapped in the Dreaming City. Savathun came to Marasov, wanting to be rid of her worm. So the Hive Gods have a symbiotic relationship with their worm, incessantly wanting more violence and hate, much like the murder battery scenario created on the Dreaming City. So Mara had agreed to work with Savathun to rid her of her worm, given she's going to be vulnerable without it. And Mara knows this is a dangerous game, and fully expects Savathun to double or even triple cross them, but we're on board nonetheless, and we're sent out to help find Mara's tech witches, to help Mara achieve her task. Well, the narrative this season has had a really strong start and Bungie has been slowly building this one for years and we finally had the Savathun reveal. So what's interesting about the storyline at the moment is the two Hive gods, they're not aligned. And you've got Zivu Arath appears to be hunting Savathun and the Taken, they've abandoned Savathun and fallen under the control of Zivu Arath, as have the Scorn. So we've got the Taken and the Scorn aligned, whereas the agreement between the Cabal and the Vanguard, they seem to be skating on thin ice. So Savathun reveals Osiris isn't dead. He's trapped somewhere. And hopefully later on this season we'll be able to rescue him. It's not really clear at the moment if Sagira, his ghost, is actually dead or maybe trapped with Osiris somewhere. There's definitely a harrowing lore tab in the season with a Wolf wolftone draw bow from the perspective of Osiris. He's watching Savathun in disguise as him, doing everything Osiris would normally do. It sounds like Savathun has somehow taken over Osiris as he watches interactions with Okora, Saint-14 and others. It's definitely fantastic storytelling. Well, the story is great fun and being told week over week. As well as the story, we've got massive gameplay changes this season, as well as new weapons, armor, and activities too. So we've got the Astral Alignment New Seasonal Activity, and that takes place in the combination of the Dreaming City and the Blind Well. So it's a four-phase activity with some decent variety, and also interesting raid-like mechanics. We've also had a couple of different boss encounters so far, so I'm pretty happy with the activities so far this season. We've also got the Shattered Realm, which is another new addition where we go into a Dark and Taken Realm, looking for Mara Tech Witches. So this is a weekly story mission that includes puzzles, exploration, and fighting. You know, a really good combination of the best bits of Destiny 2. So one of the biggest improvements this season is that all players from all platforms are going to be able to play together with each other for the first time, including PlayStation, Xbox, PC, and also Google Stadia too. So Bungie has rolled out their uniform Bungie name system, meaning you'll no longer have a unique identifying name across all platforms. That has been unified under a single name. And PC and console players, they're gonna be kept separate via matchmaking unless you specifically opt in via your fire team, which should nullify some of the mouse and keyboard advantages that PC players have. So Crossplay is now live. So if your clan got split up a few years ago when the PC version of Destiny 2 was released, well now everyone can play together. Once again, and it's really really good for finding a fire team, especially if you are going into raids or other endgame content. It's there's basically always people looking to do similar activities to you. It's really, really good fun. As we mentioned before in the Witch Queen expansion feature, Trials is getting an overhaul, although we're waiting for that to come back on September the 10th. You've got matchmaking, a new reward system, plus anti-cheat. Three peaking has also been fixed in Trials, and also then for Iron Banner, we've got a new pulse rifle and a new sidearm, plus we've got the first new set of armor in years. No news yet on the mode itself being reworked, as I imagine this will come later, as it looks like Bungie is focusing on Trials of Osiris first. So with Nightfalls, we've got two new weapons returning from D1, including the Comedian Shotgun and also the Hothead Rocket Launcher. And this season, we've got a pair of weapons on rotation rather than a single weapon each week. So for Grandmaster Nightfalls, all are going to be available at launch some way into the season rather than the last few weeks. And once you complete a GM, it's going to be no longer available in that rotation. We've also got some general weapon buffs and nerfs, so Scout Rifles, Hand Cannons, and Machine Guns are getting a buff in PvE. Anarchy is getting a big nerf. Fusion Rifles are getting a total rework. Breach Grenade Launchers and Special Ammo are getting a nerf in PvP. And Exotic Primary Weapons are getting a buff in PvE, so they are definitely more viable choices in endgame content. And finally, big news, Legendary Stasis Weapons have been introduced. Really, really good stuff. So, So Stasis has moved out from just being a damage type on Exotics and now it's gone to legendaries, and also we've got stasis armor as well. So fusion rifles and linear fusion rifles are the meta this season, thanks to the new mod Particle Deconstruction, so this seems even better than Breaching Clear from last season, and we're already seeing fusion rifles and linear fusion rifles rising to the top of the charts for PvE in damage for Raid, so I never thought I'd see the day when this was going to happen, but it has and to go with that, Bungie has also released a nice new exotic linear fusion rifle called the Lawrence Driver, though that did get a nerf in the first week. So as well as the fusion and linear fusion meta, we've also got something new for Hunters, and that is the combo of Lucky Pants and any hand cannon. So last word, and Crimson seems to be doing massive damage in PvE, and again, something I didn't think I would be saying, but it's a really, really fun combo, and I hope Bungie doesn't nerf it too quickly. The Prophecy Dungeon has also been updated with Trials of the Nine loot, which is a nice feature, given the loot has been gone since 2018, and it makes thematic sense going back into that dungeon. And I've definitely been playing loads of the Prophecy Dungeon this season so far, and it's really, really good to visit and go back into that dungeon. One of the best pieces of content in the game. And if you haven't tried that, you can find that in the Tower. Well, the season is off to a strong start. You know, we've got plenty more coming in terms of events, like Festival of the Lost, the Dawning, Moments of Triumph, and also Bungie's 30th anniversary, plus an exotic quest too. So which queen is up next? And although we know a little bit about our destination, I'm really excited to see the route Bungie takes us to get there. Well, that is it for my early impressions in Season of the Lost, but let me know in the comments or let me know through Patreon what you think of Season of the Lost. It would be really, really good to hear from you, and I'll read those comments out on the podcast. Well, that is it for my impressions of Season of the Lost, but next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. On September the 7th, we've got a few releases. So we've got Chernobylite, that's coming out on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. We've got Encased, that's coming out on PC. And we've got FIST, Forged in Shadow Torch. That's PS5 and PS4. And then finally, we've got Sonic Colors Ultimate, that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then on the 9th, we've got Blood Rain Betrayal, Fresh Bites. That's PS5, Xbox Series, S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got The Artful Escape coming out on the xbox series consoles xbox one and pc then on the 10th of september we've got inked a tale of love i hope to be bringing you a review of that next up on the next podcast so look out for that also on the 10th we've got kraken academy that's coming out on pc and continuing on the 10th we've got a few more releases so life is strange true colors ps5 xbox series consoles ps4 xbox one switch stadia and pc so that's the full house lost in random that's ps4 xbox one and pc we got NBA 2K22, as PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Port Royale 4, as PS5, Xbox Series consoles. And we've got Tales of Arise, which we mentioned earlier on in the show. That one's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series consoles, PS4, Xbox One and PC. And finally, we've got WarioWare, Get It Together. That one is coming out to Nintendo Switch. So then on September the 14th, we've got Deathloop, that's coming out on PS5, and also on PC2. And then on September the 16th, we've got Eastwood, that's coming to Switch and PC. Also on the 16th, we've got Skatebird, that's Xbox One, Switch, PC, and Linux. Then on the 17th, we've got Aragami 2, that's PS5, Xbox Series, X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then we've got Ninokuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, that's coming out on Switch on September the 17th. And finally, Toem, that's coming out on PS5, Switch, and PC. Well that is it for this week's episode and if you want to get involved in the show in the future get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website or you can just put your comments down below. Send in your questions your comments and your video game stories I'm always interested in hearing from you and thank you so much for watching or listening and for more this week in video games content like this like subscribe on youtube and share with a friend. To join our community check out the discord link in the description and you can follow me on twitter at TWIVGpodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.